Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Horseport Ireland podcast. I'm John Kyle and each fortnight we'll be bringing you interviews with equestrian experts and of course our Irish athletes. The Horseport Ireland podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts so you can subscribe and never miss an episode. And if you haven't already, check out our previous shows. It's fantastic to say that we're now in such a swing of international and national competition that it would take nearly the entire episode to recognise the Irish achievements. But we will just mention a great result for Shane Sweetnam, a previous guest on the show, and also for high performance manager Michael Blake's son, David, both out in America. Horseport Island is delighted to see so much sport coming back online internationally and at home. But of course, please, please do keep following the regulations and the protocols for coronavirus and COVID-19. My guest this episode has represented Ireland to the five-star level in eventing as an amateur rider, competing alongside his work for HSI's equine nutrition partner, Game. I was delighted to catch up with Alan Nolan. Alan, you're UK-based. Whereabouts in the UK are you and how long have you been over there? So I'm based in Worcestershire and I came over to the UK to Little College in 1998, actually, quite a long time ago. And where do you hail from originally? And is that where you take this winter group of British eventers back hunting each year? So I come from a village in Wicklow, Shalala. And when I go back hunting with friends and foe from here, we normally go with either, well, we've been with various, but the last two years we've been with the Wicklow. Oh, that's for sure a part of the world I know very well. And was it a very horsey upbringing? No, I don't come from a horsey family at all. They're all football hurling and soccer and horses were completely out of the blue i think they must have reckoned they picked up the wrong child from the hospital <laughs> so how did you end up getting into it then so i went to a local riding school just poor big riding school run by a lady called sally duffy just near shalala started off you know the usual weekend boy filling hay nets water buckets mucking out all that lark just to get a ride at the end of the day or whatever like that and then eventually joined the shalala pony club I probably was about the age of 12, 13 when I joined the Pony Club. And Sally would allow me to take one of hers every year to Pony Club camp at Broomfield. Then I went on from that and joined the Timmy Healy Riding Club. And again, rode a couple of horses belonging to Sally for the Riding Club teams and things like that before I came over here to the UK. Gosh, that's already quite the journey without even considering the the five-star level competition. Your parents must have at one stage thought or hoped that this would just be a phase. Yes, they were hoping it was going to be a phase. Kept getting a hurling stick put in front of me or football or something, but I just never was interested in it at all. And I mean, once they realised that that's what I wanted to do, then I was I bought my first pony and my father built a, a trailer to pull it in. And we I went round to the local shows as you do and just done things like that, really. Probably got dropped off, as I can remember, and just left there until it was time to go home and I needed to to get a lift home. Somebody else brought me home and they came back eventually for me. But yeah, very supportive and have been all the way, really. And that support and, of course, your own efforts has taken you right the way from local riding school to five-star eventer. <laughs> yes, it's been a long road and it's something I never, ever dreamt of, if I'm honest. I didn't even know what badminton was until I came to the UK. When I came to the UK, it just I met some people and was riding and then got a job up in Clibby Mortimer Horse Trials, which... Brian Perry owned, came there, rode there for 12 months and then decided actually wasn't going to make a living out of this, didn't want to make a living out of it and went in and worked in 
the human food industry for a number of years before then transferring across to work in equine. And now I work for Gain Equine Nutrition. And we're going to talk more about Gain and more about nutrition. But how does that all work? What does your working week look like with the balance of trying to ride these top level eventers and deliver on an important job advising on nutrition around your area? Yes, I'm on the road five days a week, which involves visiting any existing customers or potential new customers that I have in the area I cover, which is the West Midlands. I try and ride four to five times a week, and that's either very early in the morning before I leave for work or in the evenings on the way home. I'm incredibly lucky with I've got a hugely supportive owner in Carol Warren, who owns the five-star horse I have and all the event horses I've, had, I've ridden really in the last five to ten years. And she has a guy who works for her full-time, Andrew Rogers, who does the daily work with the horses. And both him and Carol do all the fitness work. I just go and ride them on the flat or give them a jump. And then I try and keep myself fit. I did do a couple of half marathons each year to try and keep myself fit. I gave up running because I just hated it. And I've now taken up on the bike and much prefer the bike. It's great fun. So I try and keep fit that way and then ride as much as I possibly can and then get the horses out of the weekend competing. I am myself a shockingly bad runner, so I'm forced to ask, what was your half marathon PB? Oh, I was very slow. I think I did, I think it was two hours, two minutes or something like that was my best. I was very slow. I jogged along quite happily. That's not bad. I, I just don't enjoy the running at all. I'm fighting myself the whole way around to keep running and to keep going. And I go out on the bike and I can do 30 miles on the bike. I love it. Um, I feel I've worked just as hard and I've actually enjoyed doing it. So I much prefer the bike at the moment. Much preferred. So Alan, all the training and the work-life balance came together and you got to make your debut at Five Star and went on to Burley, Badminton. But do you look back fondly at that debut? Uh, no. No. <laughs> Not no, the no. <laughs> um, I did. Pole was my first experience at Five Star level and it ended up in getting very wet. Um, as I fell in the final water on the way home, three quarters of the way around, and yeah, I got a major dunking. So I, I do. Po is an amazing place, but unfortunately, it ended abruptly for us in a, a big dunking. But yeah, it was my first attempt at five star, and it made me realise that the horse I was sat on could do it, and if I could stay on him, I could do it. So that was the challenge for the winter ahead. After that, and that was back in 2014, I think I did Po. Yes, Bronze Flight, a fantastic servant for you. And of course, you and he together are that rare breed. You've ridden both badminton and burley. I think there's obvious comparisons and differences, but from a rider's perspective and from an experienced perspective, could you tell us some of the differences and perhaps which is your favourite? Probably burley for me. I've done three burleys and one badminton. And badminton was an amazing experience. I think it's the one that everybody wants to do and it's the oldest, and everybody knows badminton around the world. There was a huge amount of pressure on myself for badminton because the horse was 19. He'd already done six five-stars up till then, and I knew people in the background were saying, oh, should you be running him at badminton at that age? He's giving you everything. And, and I knew the horse, and I knew what we were capable of, but it didn't stop that pressure on me at badminton. So I think I found badminton, I felt like I was in a pressure cooker for the week if I'm honest, and the intense atmosphere around the whole place. One of the very experienced riders said to me on a Saturday morning at badminton, he said, when you walk out under the arch, it will hit you. Don't be intimidated by it. 
enjoy it. And I didn't really understand what he meant. But when I came out underneath that arch and riding the horse up to the cross-country warm-up, I knew exactly what he meant. And it was incredibly intense and the pressure. And, you know, I think everybody's much closer to you at badminton, it would appear, than they are at Burley. But for me, Burley would be my favourite. I did three Burleys, three completions. It just seemed more relaxed each time. Our third attempt was our best attempt. He jumped clear the first year. He then had a couple of run-outs the second year. We were early on, and I think we were fifth to go. And he, yeah, we just didn't quite get some of the lines, so we had two run-outs. And then in 2017, he just went out of the start box, and I was literally a passenger. I directed him to the jumps, and he did the rest. And it was an incredible feeling. And I think having ridden around Burley and Badminton, for me, the achievement of having completed Burley was far greater than having completed Badminton. And and I think, personally, I put it down to the undulations, how the fences are presented, how they are. They're more work for horse and rider at Burley than, than I felt at Badminton, but I would never underestimate Badminton at all. But it just the sense of achievement from Burley was greater. I completely understand you. And I think for people who really relish cross-country, Burley will always just have the edge. In terms of getting to that level, you've already told us a little bit about how it works at home with you and Carol, but I assume you work with a number of coaches as well. Yes. I've worked with the same jumping trainer, Sarah Verney, more or less since I came over here to the UK. Um, I met Sarah when I went to Whittle, and then we met again when she moved up to Herefordshire. And she's helped me with Colby from the start. So I've been with Sarah for 10 years, and she's been absolutely instrumental in getting me and the horse to that level her advice, her support the whole way through. And then I had a couple of different trainers on the flat with Bronze Flight, who uh, notoriously was very difficult on the flat, and his results would, in the dressage phase would show that. And then we started having lessons with a lady called Karen Nicholas, who's a very local lady to here in Worcestershire and does a lot of teaching. And she just understood him like nobody else did. And she actually rode him a lot more as well and she could understand what I was feeling and the results they were never going to be amazing with him but they improved greatly and I felt my understanding of dressage improved greatly so she currently helps me as does Sarah and I believe going forward that's how we will carry on doing it it works for Carol having the horses very close to home she's very involved in it she's up there every day riding she gets put on whatever is left to be ridden she never moans or complains <laughs> she just gets on them and she rides them she as i said earlier she does all the fitness work with andrew they both go off galloping however number of times a week i normally tell them what i want the horses to do and then they go off and they do it and that's how we've done it through the years and we've had three people in the last 10 years as grooms lauren mcgowan started off then we had Catherine o'connor who was an incredibly experienced groom for us and was fantastic for us and then she decided to move on to Pastures New and we got Andrew on board who was he was only 21 when he joined us three years ago and he did three five stars in a year grooming and won the grooms award to Burley in 2017. That's a fantastic achievement for him and obviously a testament to his work and care of the horses. Interesting also what you say about Karen. I see it a lot in America where the coaches are in britches. They, they ride, they get up on the horses an awful lot more than we're 
used to seeing here in England or Ireland. Obviously, that slightly comes from your situation being so busy at work. Yeah, and I think also with Bronze Flight, um, I'd had various people beforehand who were very dressage orientated, and it was all about trying to produce the test for the day, and rather than going back to the basics with him and uh, getting us both to understand A, why we were doing it, and B, how we were doing it, and finding a way. I think that was most important with him. He, he had his issues, structurally, shall I say, and we had to work with those issues. We have a very good vet, well, two vets. We're very lucky that we've got one local vet who's extremely good and then one vet that we use from the Lambourne direction who is at a lot of the events and et cetera and all the, the bigger um, three days. And he knew the horse incredibly well. It makes such a difference to have an, an enormous team around you. And somebody once said to me, find somebody who is supportive and surround yourself with positive people and it'll work. And it's very true because that's exactly what I've done. And it seems to have worked for me. Now, and you gave him his correct nickname there a moment ago, which I think is Colby. But how did Precious come about? Precious came about because Precious is incredibly precious and won't go into a field if there's mud in the field. If he stands in the field and it starts raining, he'll either bring himself in or he will stand at the gate waiting for you and screaming his head off or kicking the gate till somebody comes and gets him in. So I think the nickname came from, it might have been Lorna, who kept calling him the most incredible precious horse she'd ever seen and it just seemed to stick with him the whole way through and yeah. I think his social media name became Precious rather than Colby, which is actually a stable name. But he was just very high maintenance. <laughs> so he lives up to his name. So things have started to get a little bit back to normal for you because you've been out just recently at an Aston LaWalls unaffiliated, starting to tune up for the season we might yet get. Yes, Carol has always got four horses, and that's her. That's what she wants. That's what works for her. So she has currently got the good horse, which we now call him, Garçon Deluxe, who is a nine-year-old. And we took then one of the younger horses, a six-year-old, called What's the Plan, that we bought at the middle of last year. He was very green last year when we bought him, so we played about with him. He did one unaffiliated uh, 90-class last year somewhere. And then, yes, we came out to Aston the Walls, and he jumped a lovely clear round. It was great. So, fingers crossed, with the eventing season starting, we can get an entry for him somewhere and start producing him. We do try and sell one or two as we go along, and he will be one of the ones we will put up for sale in the, in the coming weeks or months, all going to plan. But he's a lovely horse, and it's great fun training him and bringing him on. As you mentioned there, in your yard, the current good horse is the Irish sport horse Garçon Deluxe. He went to the four-star short, the Nations Cup competition at Varigam last year, and we know now that we've got some events to aim for. We've got a five-star at Poe, we've got the four-star long and the eight- and nine-year-old four-star short classes that normally are at Blenheim are going to run at Burnham Market. So what are Garçon Deluxe's plans and targets for 2020? Yes, we would most certainly want to run him in a four-star short this year. He's a nine-year-old and I bought him from Carol G as a four-year-old. So we've produced him right up to this year. He jumped double clear last year in both advanced classes. He ran in, which was Gaptem at the festival and the Aston Awards eight and nine-year-old class is the best eventing class. I love him. He's got an incredibly good brain. I love riding him on the flat. I find him easier on the flat. I find I can produce a test out of him and he's a really, really good jumper. 
the plan would be to take him probably, yeah, if we could get a four-star short, most certainly this year would be amazing. The plan was a four-star long, but with the season being cut so short, I just don't know whether I'll get enough runs into him to get that four-star long under his belt. And he is only a nine-year-old. He has only done two advanced classes and one three-star long last year, which he was super in. But I'm, I'm always cautious of not overdoing it to them, which I think is probably why Bronze Flight lasted from 19. Well, he's still going. He's 21 and he's in a nice packing home at the moment. But yeah, so four-star short, probably more of a realistic aim with Garth Van Der Unless I can persuade Carol to go on a sunshine tour somewhere. That would be nice. Yes, of course. And those Portuguese events have just announced their winter tour. So maybe that's something. But the eight and nine-year-old Blenheim classes that normally is at Burner Market starts to look like a target then. That would ideally be the plan. We would we would like to get there. He's entered up for Aston Walls in a couple of weeks' time. But with that impending ballot, we're just sitting tight. Like I suppose everybody is waiting to see if we've got in. But that would be his first run of the season in the intermediate there. Well, Alan, as we've mentioned, you work with Gain Equine Nutrition and you have yourself with your horses just been through the process of bringing them back up to a work and a feeding level suitable for high performance competition. Just talk us through that and, and how others could apply those lessons. Yeah, so when COVID hit, my boys had come out of the hunting season and they were ready to rock and roll really we've done a lot of fitness work with Garcon Deluxe and um, because we wanted to start in early so we kind of hit a brick wall and we were like oh dear what do we do now so it was very much a case of gradually allowing them back down we didn't have the facilities to turn them out full time and just leave them out of grass for a couple of months which is what some people do so we just had to keep them in just ticking over I did lots of flat work and stuff with them but from a feed point of view I changed them down from the high energy feed to a low energy feed so they went down onto a product called easy go cubes and then as the work started to increase again I then started looking at the higher energy level cubes so I put them back onto their freedom cubes and ones on competition mix but yeah it's very important to work with your horse on the feeding point of view and listen to them and understand what they need so when they're in that slower level of work, just, just cut it down a little bit or change a product to something like the Easy Go Cubes where you can have them manageable, but yet they're still getting their calories going in there. We also use a balancer to ensure the nutrient level is being reached and we use our OptiCare balancer on that level, which is great for that. Okay, so with a competition on the horizon, when and how do I start ramping up the feeding? As soon as you're ramping up their fitness work, whether it be your gallop work, whether it be your, you're increasing your lessons with your trainers, you would then start looking at increasing the feed level. And it would probably be a case if you were on a lower energy feed and you were wanting to get onto a competition cube, you'd gradually change it over a five, seven day period. And you'd be looking at something like the Freedom Cubes or the Freedom Mix for the likes of the event horses, dressage horses, jumpers, any of those sport horse type animals. You'd be looking at that type of diet. And then with the race horses, Obviously, you're going to be going on to the racehorse cubes or the racehorse mix. And what if I find myself in the opposite scenario where, as I look out and assess my horse in the field, I think, actually, he's done too well. I've maybe been giving him a bit too much during lockdown. Yeah, again, so that very much goes back to um, how you work them. Obviously, restricted grazing would be something you'd look at to start with and then working them in a correct way. From a feeding point of view, I would be recommending something like our OptiCare Balancer there because that, again, is an incredibly good way and a safe and effective way of getting the nutrient requirement into the horse. 
so that you're ensuring that his nutrient levels are being met for the work that you're doing, but it's not adding any calories or energy to the diet. So that would be how I'd started the feeding. And then correct training and exercise regime and limiting the amount of grass that you have your horse on, you would then look at adding to the diet further on once you've got to the level of fitness and shape you want to achieve, then you would look at adding something else to that diet. One of the things I hear discussed a lot at the moment, Alan, in feeding is low starch diets. Why might I be recommended a low starch diet and how can I achieve a low starch diet for my horse? So there's various reasons as to why a horse might need a low starch diet. The majority at the moment, and it's probably the one that people are, would most recognise, would be from a gastric ulcer or gastric upset point of view. The gastric ulcers are being easily found these days. So you would look at anything that's been diagnosed with any sort of issue along that gastric problem. You'd look at a high fibre, high oil, low starch diet. If you look at our Freedom Cubes and Freedom Mix, that would be ideal, or our EasyGo Cubes, you're talking about an 8 or 10% starch level, which is ideal for something that requires a low-starch diet. Um, but it, it will all be around high fibre, high oil, and the low-starch. Great. Okay. Now, another thing is we all know that feeding can help just give that little bit of pep, that little bit of energy. How do I create a feeding plan that gives me that little bit of pep without going overboard without having it boil over okay so again you start off with your balancer so use your optical balancer because again you know you're reaching the nutrient requirement going in and then from that you would look at adding again it depends depending on how much energy you're looking for and what type of energy you're looking for you would could go along with um on the gain equine nutrition range you do the freedom you could do the 12% competition mix. You could have the present condition mix, the elite 10 mix, or you could really go to rocket fuel and have your racing mix and your racing cubes. So it would really depend on, on what type of energy you're looking for and, and how much energy you're looking for. But always start off with your balancer because that's a very good way of doing the nutrient requirements. And then you know that's being met and then you can work from there. So obviously a few times there you've mentioned the Opticare balancer. Tell us a little bit more about that. What format does it come in? How does it used? What's its effect? So Opticare comes in a pelleted form and it is fed at, for every 100 kilo of horse, it's 100 gram of product. So you're not feeding a huge amount of it, but it is a condensed pellet with a very good nutritional pack inside the pellet. And then that delivers the safe and required amount. So if your horse is 700 kilos, you'd feed 700 grams a day to the horse, but your small pony might only be 400. So it's an incredibly good an effective way of feeding without adding huge cost to the diet. And Opticare Balancer will generally, across the board, be in a safe and effective way of feeding without sending them to Dulali or overweight either. Reaching the correct levels in a safe and effective way. During lockdown, we had Gain's fantastic Ask the Expert series, and that's all still available online. But if I'm just a one or two horse owner, how much of Gain's nutritional expertise and and you guys can I access? Any level that you require. You know, if you're here in the UK, we've got four people based here in the UK who all have nutritional backgrounds and we're all very experienced within various different aspects of the industry. So that knowledge is there. Facebook is an incredibly good way of accessing. If you get onto Facebook and you ask the question on our game pages, whether it be Ireland, UK or internationally, there's always somebody there waiting to respond to you. Or, again, we can hand out our telephone numbers and you can give us a ring and we can discuss what your requirements are. 
So there's always somebody on, on the other end of the telephone line waiting to give you advice. That's a great resource. And I hope a lot of people take the opportunity to take advantage of that knowledge and that accessibility. So GAIN is the equine nutrition partner to Horse Sport Ireland, and we're supporting those three teams on their journey to the Tokyo Olympic Games. How does GAIN play its part in that? How do our athletes actually physically access GAIN products at the Olympic Games? Yeah, so it's a very, very long process, so I can run through it with you. I don't organise at all. I have riders who I look after who will be going, hopefully, to Tokyo or who have been to previous Olympics, and I have been involved in some of the organization around it but basically what happens is the riders submit the products that they want to use for the nominated horse or horses that they're planning to ride once that list has been compiled then the olympic committee require a huge amount of information around ingredients manufacturers how it's grown etc then we have to fill all that information out and then that's passed back to the olympic committee and once it's then that product is then approved it goes onto a list which then means any rider can use it once it's on the list. If it's a rider who wants to change from another brand to gain prior to the Olympics, that would all be done on a basis at home with whatever gain representative or business manager that would be looking after that account. And that would be done over a gradual period, and it would certainly be done in the weeks, if not months, prior to moving. There wouldn't be anybody who would be looking at changing just before flying to Tokyo or something like that. Once the approved list has been compiled, obviously the seed is manufactured, but it's gathered then into a central location with all the relevant paperwork, and then it's shipped to the required destination. So obviously it would then be shipped, shipped to Tokyo. The riders are allowed to send some feed with the horses in transit, so the horses will travel with some of the feed, but it will be feed that's on the approved list. But the remainder of the feed that they'll need for the period of time they're out there will be sent directly to the Olympic site and it will be there awaiting their arrival. So as soon as the horses arrive, the feed is there and it will all go as part of the package from the Team Ireland. It will have everything out there ready to go and the riders will know, or the grooms probably, will know best exactly what the horses will be fed and what they require when they get there and it will all be done. But it's a huge process, John, and it takes months and months and months and I have a very tiny bit involved in it. It is a lot of people behind the scenes, getting all that information through to the Olympic Committee on ingredients, etc. And you've already mentioned how accessible Gains Nutritional Advice is to any athlete at any level, but I assume there are people standing by to discuss with athletes and discuss with the team vets any changes to products that are pre-approved and waiting there in the fodder store, particularly under what might be quite difficult weather conditions in Tokyo. Yeah, if that was necessary, there's always somebody there to step up to the mark. You know, we've got nutritionists based in Ireland who will be there to answer any questions or do any recommendations that is necessary. So, yeah, that, it, it, there's always that available to anyone, whether they're going to the Olympics or whether they're going to a, a local three-day. Um, it doesn't matter. There's always somebody there to give that information as and when they need it, yeah. Well, Alan, thank you very much for that very quick gallop through equine nutrition. And as you mentioned, if anyone would like any more information on any aspect of that, gain our Amir Facebook message or phone call or visit away. And just before we wrap up to go back to your riding and competing, you've mentioned her a few times. It seems like you're incredibly lucky with your owner, Carol Warren. Oh, she's absolutely, I'm so lucky. So lucky, it's unbelievable. But it works because she doesn't want to send her horse off to a big yard 
She wants to be involved. She wants to be at home doing them on a day-to-day basis. She groomed for me at Blenheim one year because we didn't have somebody that year. And she was there for the whole week. I wasn't even allowed to muck out the table, which I'm quite capable of doing. But no, she was doing it. She was in charge, and that was the end of it. <laughs> but she's very hands-on, and she loves doing the horses. And that's why she has them. She wouldn't have them if they were to be placed with riders abroad or riders in different parts of the UK. It wouldn't, it's not her at all. The only thing she refuses to do, which is a bit of a pain in the neck, she refuses to put studs in. <laughs> <laughs> she, she believes it's not her job. But no, I, honestly, I'm so lucky. She's um, an incredibly good friend and we um, we seem to get on together. I just, you know, when I've come off the post country and I've made a mess or come out of a dress test and I've gone wrong or, you know, Michael, my fault for having two down, I just hold my hand up and I'm very honest with her and, you know, and that's all she expects from it. And she loves the horses and she just wants them to do well. And we were both living a dream. And a dream that took you and her horse bronze flight to the very top level. Now, Garçon Deluxe is standing by, hoping to do the same again, badminton and burley. But is there a stage beyond? Would you like to don the green coat and represent Ireland at a championship level? And might he be the horse to do it? Oh, would I like to go to a championship to Ireland? Yes. I mean, it would be amazing to be able to have rides under the Irish flag um, at a championship. And I think Garçon Deluxe is probably the horse that could potentially do it if his results continue. His results up to date have been very good. And if they were to continue, which they would have to at this four-star level, for him to even be considered, then yes, of course, I strive to compete against myself as much as anybody and to see if I can improve from event to event. What's my personal aim with Garçon Deluxe is, yes, badminton and burley. I'd love to have another crack at both of them. But equally, I would love to have a crack at a European or a world or something, you know, some Olympics, something like that. It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? What a dream. And finally, Alan, your hobby, top-level eventing, your work, equine nutrition, are very closely related. You sit within the same world all the time. And that must give a good work-life balance. Yes, I'm incredibly settled in my job at Gain. And they're hugely supportive of what I do. Very, very supportive around when I was doing badminton and burley with Colby. Again, hugely supportive for anything I've done so far with Garçon Deluxe. You know, I think work hard, play hard. If you are prepared to put your head down and work to make both aspects of your life, in mind, my work life and my competitive life, then it will work. But you have to be prepared to put in the long hours. I have to be prepared to sit in a car and drive to a customer, give them my full attention um, and be prepared to be there for as long as that customer requires me to be there to then come home and it might be seven o'clock in the evening and I might face riding two dressage tests with Karen, which some evenings has been quite a struggle. I will admit when it's pouring with rain and I think, really, do I have to? Or you get up in the spring morning and yes, it's a beautiful spring morning, but there's frost everywhere and it's freezing cold. And, you know, you're thinking, right, come on, the arena's frozen. But if I run the rake around it five minutes, it'll be soft enough that I can do some walk, trot and canter on it because we don't have an indoor school. We don't have lights. I've done dressage tests on the lights of my car and just made it work. You have to at the end of the day. But yeah, it's, it's about being happy in both aspects and gain allow me to do that. And I think they get a lot out of the fact that I am competing at that level and have produced horse to that level. And then when I'm recommending seed to people, especially in the eventing world, they know me, they understand what I've done and, and they trust my knowledge. 
I can walk onto a yard and never discuss having competed at badminton and bowling, and, and I don't like doing it. Some people will say, oh, well done, and oh, I didn't realise you'd competed, and that's fine, but I don't. I would never walk onto a yard and say, right, I've competed seven five stars, now you need to feed gain horse feeds, because that's not appropriate. It'd be very much going in on the gain horse feed side, and if my achievement comes into play, then that's fine. But gain equine nutrition products are good enough to sell themselves, and that's what works. Well, that works. The products work. It's a great partnership between Horse Sport Ireland and Gain Equine Nutrition. Alan, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to me today and congratulations on all of your successes. And of course, the very best of luck with the next generation of horses coming up to that top level. We can't wait to see you at the five star again in the future. Well, that works. The products work. It's a great partnership between Horse Sport Ireland and gain equine nutrition. Alan, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to me today and congratulations on all of your successes and of course the very best of luck with the next generation of horses coming up to that top level. We can't wait to see you at the five star again in the future. Don't forget, as ever, a huge amount of advice and information on the HSI website at horsesportireland.ie. Remember, the sport and breeding departments at Horsesport Ireland, whilst working remotely, are still open and able to help with any renewals or registrations required. And there continues to be news and updates on the current COVID-19 guidance and details of the financial support available. So thanks for joining me, John Kyle, and I look forward to talking to you again on the next Horse Sport Ireland podcast.